Welcome to this episode of Stories of Our Ancestors, in which students of the U.S. Naval Academy, located in Annapolis, Maryland, share remarkable accounts of members of their families either living or deceased. Stories of their triumphs and tragedies and how they fit into the remarkable mosaic of American history and society. With us in the studio today are Captain Bob Q, Lieutenant Terrence Viernes, and myself, Associate Professor Thomas Burgess. As instructors in the Department of History, all three of us have come to know many midshipmen in our time here in Annapolis, but never had the chance until now to hear about their amazing ancestors. In this inaugural episode, we'll listen to three midshipmen talk about relatives who were veterans of major military conflicts that the United States engaged in during the 20th century. From the far-flung and blasted battlefields of Europe, Korea, and Vietnam, each man's journey was equal parts transformative and life-affirming. In our first story, midshipman Blair Walters talks about her great-uncle, Johnny Walters. Growing up during the Great Depression, he developed an entrepreneurial streak that, along with his own innate irrepressible spirit, powered him through life. From his early years fixing cars in Pasadena, California, through the beaches of Normandy, and even into the nursing home where he spent the final years of his life. Let's listen. My name is Blair Walters and I'm from Pasadena, California. I decided to talk about my Grandpa Ed's brother, Johnny Nolan Walters, for my project. I chose to talk about Johnny because he served in World War II, which is a huge part of American history. Johnny was the oldest of five siblings and was born in Pasadena, California in 1919. His family had a tough life in the Great Depression era and that's when he decided it was necessary to be a go-getter. He picked up random jobs such as yard work and delivering newspapers on multiple routes. One of his first accomplishments in life was buying his first car at just 14 years old. His neighbor always saw him looking at their Model T Ford in the yard, so he proposed a deal. If Johnny pulled out all the weeds in the yard and had $8, it would be all his. Johnny had saved up his money, did the job, and even put the car back together. His love for cars began then, and he pursued work as a mechanic. Johnny knew that there would be a draft and wanted to get an MOS in the Army he would like. Determined to work with vehicles, he would go to a local Chevrolet dealership while the mechanics were on their lunch break. They agreed to teach him everything he needed to know, and due to all their quizzes, he aced his exam. Johnny was placed in the 3rd Army, 4th Armored Division headquarters. His division traveled to multiple states in the U.S. to prepare for any types of terrain and weather they may encounter. They had no idea where the war would take them. While still on the West Coast for training, Johnny would take his buddies home with him on the weekends to see Hollywood for the first time. Johnny would drive them down in his Model A to the Hollywood Canteen where celebrities would often hang out. Then when he was in Texas, he would bury bottles of alcohol next to their barracks and make money off the soldiers who wanted bottles since they were in a dry county. The trips to Hollywood and selling bottles was a second source of income for him, when he, which he saved up. I always remember him speaking to me about the combat he saw. Johnny arrived on the beaches of Normandy one week after D-Day, which was the largest amphib invasion in history. When he arrived, he saw destroyed ships, destroyed landing craft, blood-stained waters, and bodies that hadn't been retrieved yet. He was assigned to a half-track, which is an armored truck with wheels in the front and tracks in the back. Johnny saw a lot of combat, but his job was to be a rolling mechanic. When they weren't under fire, which included fixing any vehicles he could, retrieving anything worth saving, or destroying unfixable equipment with explosive charges, that way the Germans couldn't salvage anything. Johnny would take daggers, belts, and anything of value off German soldiers to bring back to the States as souvenirs. He also sold a good amount of things he collected to the airmen on the ship since they were never on the ground during the war. 
Johnny told me about the time when him and his buddies found a cow that was killed by scrap metal. They were eager to have a warm meal with some protein, so they lit a fire to cook it. The Germans were able to see the smoke and open fire with 88mm rounds. He lost some of his buddies that night. During the war, there were nine men he initially stuck with. Eight of them died and needed replacements. His one buddy, Sergeant Jackson Carroll, survived the whole war with him and they stayed in touch until years later when they passed. He even got to meet General Patton, another Southern California boy. While Johnny was in the service, he would always send his mother money back home as she was a widow and still poor. When he shipped back home to Pasadena after the war, he found out that she had saved everything for him and it was a small fortune then. With that money, Johnny went on to buy a gas station in Pasadena. Johnny wanted to work for himself because he was a self-made man. Soon after, he also bought the garage behind the gas station to work on cars. Before he knew it, within a few years, he would have multiple gas stations, garages, and used car dealerships. My Grandpa Ed did the same thing after the Korean War, and my father worked in the business with them. We still have Model Ts, Model As, and old gas pumps to this day. I love the passion my family has for the automotive industry, the military, and I hope to pass it down to my family one day. Johnny lived a beautiful life and worked hard to the very end. My favorite story of him when he lived in a convalescent home because he had dementia and needed extra supervision. At 97 years old, he unbolted his windows one evening, hopped out of his room, then walked to the gates surrounding the home. He stood on some boxes and hopped the fence to escape. This happened multiple times and he was always successful. He always had a young soul with a determined attitude. Johnny was a go-getter until the day he died just like my grandpa Ed. Growing up with Johnny in my life taught me many lessons since I was a kid. He taught me the importance of hard work and initiative to create the life you wish to live. I appreciate everything he went through because it shows true strength and bravery. He set the example for everyone after him. Being raised in the Walters family has been a true blessing and I owe it to them to serve my time in the military just like they did. That's a great story, and I really love the fact that Mitchman Walters ended the story about how her great-uncle continued to keep that spirit all the way up until uh, his years in the nursing home. Uh, the fact that he tried to escape multiple times uh, just cracks me up. Yeah, it's a great story about how the human spirit's untrammeled by all these experiences, war and everything else. He's still pursuing freedom at 97 years old. Yeah, and the, that instance where he found that cow in the open field and him and his buddies were cooking it and it actually ended up to decimating his friend circle, that's deeply affecting for me because it, it's so hard for me to picture that happening if I'm on a ship with my other fellow officers and you know my closest friends right, suddenly gone because of a choice I made. Mm. That's, that's, that's heavy stuff. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, this generation lived through the Great Depression and then World War II and then were able to go home uh, and have very successful lives, raise families, businesses, uh, really an incredible story. Yeah, he's pursuing the American dream during and after his military service. He has this entrepreneurial bent even as a serviceman, you know, taking trips to Hollywood and uh, selling alcohol. Souvenirs. To souvenirs. Right, yeah. To, to yeah, the airmen, the flyboys. Uh, and I guess... A lot of it was to support his uh, his mother, who was a widow, but it turns out that was the seed capital for his business enterprises afterwards. 
Yeah, it's really encouraging to see that he's able to accomplish both, you know, like support his mother back home and then also build a very successful string of businesses for himself. Yeah, it's so interesting now, right? Because even now um, with international migration, there's there's lots of people around the world now who move to different countries uh, and they remit money back to their families back home. This is a huge part of the international economy. Uh, and it's interesting to see, you know, Americans during World War II doing something very, very similar with their overseas pay. Thomas, would you like to cue us up for the next story? Sure. In our second story, Midshipman Michael Rokovich relates the surprising story of his grandfather, Bernard Daly, who served in a counterintelligence unit during the Korean War. The war took place in the era of Senator Joseph McCarthy and national fears of communist infiltration of American society. And so it was his unhappy assignment to investigate his fellow soldiers for possible communist sympathies. For now it's goodbye, Maria. I'm off to Korea, far across the sea. It's the same old story. It's good morning, good afternoon, and good night to my listeners. This is Michael Rockovich from Jamison, Pennsylvania, and today we will be discussing my very own grandfather, Bernard Daly. I've chosen to discuss my grandfather as he has constantly been a source of inspiration to me in my life. He never had much growing up in Naugatuck, Connecticut but he never let that define him. He worked very hard for everything he had and valued the happiness of his life through not material means, but rather by caring for others. His life was devoted to serving others, and in specific, the event we will focus on in this podcast episode is the Korean War. The crushing defeat of Japan in 1945 meant liberation for Korea and gave Koreans, Koreans the chance to reestablish a free nation in which they could make the rules free of foreign inter- intervention. Unfortunately, Korea stood divided, with one part of the population gravitating towards communism and the other half adhering to traditional beliefs of Confucianism and Buddhism as the central identity of Korea. With this, the United States occupied the South and the Soviet Union occupied the North. These occupations made any sort of union in Korea impossible. Kim Il-sung took power in the North and built a communist system while Americans supported the South Korean state, which was headed by Rhee Singman. Then in the year 1950, North Korea invaded the South with Russia and China as allies. The USSR never ultimately sent troops to fight, only missiles and strategies. UN forces consisting of mostly American troops forced North Koreans back and towards the Chinese border. This in turn launched a massive Chinese intervention to aid North Korea. Overall, 40,000 Americans were killed and 100,000 wounded. The majority of U.S. soldiers fighting this war were chosen through the draft rather than by volunteering. One of them being my very own grandfather, Bernard Daly. Bernie was drafted in the middle of the war in April of 1952 as soon as he graduated college. He was sent to Fort Devens in Massachusetts, and then from there, he was sent to Fort Dixon. There they trained for 16 weeks. 45 soldiers were sent to Fort Holabird in Baltimore, Maryland, which included my grandfather, who was selected to work at the Counterintelligent Combat Headquarters. There he was assigned to investigate American military personnel based on their records and actions with the suspicion of communism and the American forces. This greatly reflects the time period in America and the Red Scare going on at the time. With McCarthyism spreading in America, there was a constant fear of communism spreading, and Americans set out to expose it on their home soil. 
And that was exactly my grandfather's sole job at Fort Halliburton to ensure U.S. soldiers were qualified and free of contradiction. This goes to show the timid times in America and the fear of communism. My grandfather expressed it was one of the worst times in his life, having to investigate the people closest to him and those that were serving just like him. With the Truman Doctrine of 1947 and the policy of containment, we see that even military members were forced to investigate their fellow brother-in-arms. My, br my grandfather explained that it was a very different time in America than that of World War II. There were massive amounts of disagreement over the war, and many citizens felt there was no need for American men to be in Korea. Public support was at a low, but nonetheless, my grandfather was proud to serve and did his duty to the best of his ability. He explained when discussing the lack of support in America during the Korean War, he too was questioning it all as he lost many of his closest friends with whom he went to Fort Devens with. His mother, too, was deeply saddened with my grandfather being drafted as she lost both of her brothers in World War II. By the end of the war, my grandfather was discharged the following year and put in the reserves for another six. He explained that he, as well as the entire public, felt no sense of victory and felt as though the war never really ended. I had the opportunity to sit down with my grandfather in 2016 and talk with him at length before his passing. My favorite quote he stated was as follows. But we did the best we could and we never lost our patriotism, yeah. which made today that you do not see as much as you did before. Yeah. In other words, we seem more loyalty today to our country. Than yeah. Was there like a large amount of support from American citizens during the war? No, there wasn't. There wasn't at all. But... Uh, the ones that got drafted, I mean, uh, we went. I mean, yeah. we had to go, we went. <laughs> but uh, there were a lot of uh, people said, that, what's the sense of this war and yeah. whatnot. My grandfather was truly an amazing man who cared about everyone. He always did his best and truly believed he represented the best of American citizens. His recap of his time in the service greatly resembles the themes we learned about in America at that time. Goodbye, Maria, though I'm off to Korea. In my heart, you'll always be. What an amazing story. We typically think of the Vietnam War as the war of the 20th century where American public opinion wasn't always as supportive of war aims as it might have been, but I guess in the Korean War also, public support for this war was also tested, especially since it was a war that drafted young men into the service and came so quickly after the heels of World War II. Maybe there's a sense of war exhaustion by that point. Yeah, I mean, this is a fascinating story, right? I love the fact that he talks about how his grandfather felt like the world war never ended, because it hasn't, right? The Korean War has actually never formally had a peace treaty. It's still only been a ceasefire and armistice. Um, but this idea of a war weariness, I think, is really interesting. My uh, my gunner in Afghanistan used to talk about how America tends to go to war every 10 years, because that's how long it takes for Americans to forget how much they don't like war. Interesting, yeah. It, it is eerie to think about having a generation of servicemen and women to to go home and be surrounded by people who don't buy into the mission that the military is doing right or they don't find that support whereas you know we're living in a world now where we do kind of almost by default in many places get that right the thank you for your service is a very common greeting it's hard to wrap my head around not having that support you know not that long ago 70 years ago 
But at the same time, though, you know, this was a time where service touched more Americans because of the draft. And it was just, it's hard for me to not think of the parallels to the modern-day wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, especially because, uh, you know, his grandfather talks about this comparison between patriotism today and patriotism back then. And there's this weird dichotomy because I think you're right in that, you know, there's sort of this, oh, you know, thank you for your service and all of that. But service touches fewer people now because of the all-volunteer force. It is very easy for you to go and live your entire life without really thinking about the military in a way that was impossible back then. You know, he even talks about how uh, those brothers were lost in World War II. So it's, you know, just a very interesting way of looking at how times have changed or maybe have not changed. And I think this war dragged on much further than people expected. And ultimately, it was Eisenhower who threatened to use nuclear weapons to bring this war to a final conclusion. So... And it wasn't even presented as a war. Truman talks about how it's a police action. Right. Uh, and yeah. I think there's also a strain in the American culture where if we're going to go to, to war, it's going to be a righteous war, right? And sacrificing lives for a police action is not uh, something that people are a huge fan of. Yeah. And I think the ultimate outcome, too, leaves a pretty bitter taste in a lot of the American public's memory. You know, there's still a conflict going on, uh, actively going on. And... If there's no resolution, there's no way for us to celebrate any victory, Right. period. And so what's there to support? And the the idea of McCarthyism and having to investigate your fellow soldiers, uh, that, that comes through in the story as well, which I think is another, another reason why it's not really very triumphant or glorious. Yeah, we think of services in the band of brothers mode, but how right. can you feel totally united with your band of brothers when you're investigating them for possible sympathies with communism. So, yeah. I still love the attitude he has, right? He, we did the best we could and we never lost our patriotism, which is something to admire. In our final story, midshipman Jacob Haley recalls the adventures of his grandfather, William Joseph Haley Jr., the elder Haley's experiences as a Marine Corps infantryman in Vietnam crystallized within him a rugged spirit of self-reliance and strong work ethic. However, his time in service is bracketed by a civilian life defined by misadventure and tough choices. My name is Jacob Haley. I'm a second-class midshipman at the United States Naval Academy, and today I'll be talking about the life of my grandfather, William Joseph Haley, Jr., a recon Marine in the United States Marine Corps during the time of the Vietnam War, as well as a Silver Star recipient. My grandpa was born in Jeffersonville, Indiana, back up in the mountains. He referred to his own mom and dad as hell people who didn't have an education, but worked hard. He described his own education as street smarts and wasn't much for school growing up. His own dad was also in the United States Marine Corps and had just returned from fighting in World War II, but was eventually called back to fight in the Korean War. When his dad finally got out, he wound up the kids, threw them in the black Buick, tied all their stuff to the top and took out west. My grandpa explained this experience as not having a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out, spending the days eating spam and cold potatoes and powdered milk. His family eventually settled down in Redmond, Washington, where he would spend his high school years. He didn't really care much about school and was more concerned about sports and those of the opposite gender. 
Following high school, he decided to go into the United States Marine Corps, where he was assigned to 1st Marine Recon, which was then a combined action group that was slightly different than most recon groups at the time. In this case, it was just four guys being dropped out in a bush and sent off for months at a time. He spent most of his time in Wales, Cambodia, on the border, where he was met with many life-altering situations. He opened up a little bit about some times and stated that he found out more about his life in Vietnam than anything else, and it is where his motivation and drive to do more following the war came from. He stated that if someone isn't afraid, they're lying to you. He would get hives and would break out. He was scared at so many times. When you are in a tunnel with a flashlight and a 45 and you don't know what is at the other side, it's a scary place to be. As a young boy that probably didn't have a chance to go or do anything if he followed other suits, the Marine Corps changed things around him dramatically and he would absolutely do it again. He mentioned that the war felt like an endless light at the end of the tunnel that you will never get to. He was fighting to bring the guy next to him back home and that was all that mattered. Shared that we have conflicts, not wars, and that we don't know the difference. It's all the same. Blood is blood, no matter where you shed it, and every once in a while, you have to send the mill herd out to take care of it. Following the war, he got into hunting a lot. He's hunted all over the world, from Siberia, Mongolia, China, Africa, and here at home. And through all those years of being attacked by dangerous animals, the most dangerous animal out there is another man. Hunting was a big part of his life after the war that he took part in. A great story that he shared was that when he was up in Montana by Yellowstone at the Chico Hot Springs, him and three buddies were out hunting elk. It was a beautiful evening, sitting with his friends, gazing up at the moon, and saw four little figurines popping out and knew that they had to be big animals. When they got a spotting scope down, sure enough, four massive antlers appeared. It took them about a day to get up the mountain by way of snowshoes. As they were going up, they soon realized that there wasn't going to be any time to get back down that night either. Luckily, the men were prepared with blankets, sardines, crackers, and pilot bread to get them through. As prepared as they were, it was just an uncomfortable night. It was the coldest that he had ever been, pissing on the ground and watching it freeze before it hit the ground, in which he made clear and stated that when this does in fact happen and that when he was one time up north hunting polar bear in negative 60 degree weather it sure as hell happens when the four elk finally appeared and they got all four of them they were now met with another problem how to get them down the mountain over the course of the next three days using makeshift sleds transporting the elk down the mountain the rigorous trip was like none other while hunting was something that he took part in there was much more going on at the time Following the war, he knew that he wanted to do something with his life and needed something to put food on the table. He ended up attending the College of the University of Puget Sound in Washington, where he earned his degree and went back for his master's, becoming the first person in the family tree to not only get a high school diploma, but a college degree as well. Upon completion, he worked for a bank called Sale First National Bank, as well as started Seattle Northwest and other investment banking companies. His clients were finance institutions and bank credit unions, spent time running portfolios for investments and running a hedge fund, which he has been doing now for 51 years. During this time, met his wife and had three kids, my dad, William Joseph Haley III, my uncle Jake, and my aunt Kim. 
He started to climb the ladder of building a family and a monetary side of things, accomplishing what he thought at the time was the most important thing and what everyone needed. Money. Raising the kids as best as he could, and now at 72, with a couple of marriages that had failed, realized that there's not much else you can fail at at this age, and that if he could go back and do it all over again, he would have done more with the family. Wish he could have had more times with them as he got older. Wish he could have gotten to get to know us more, and hopes to pepper it in over the next couple years. When he is gone, he wants people to remember that while a bastard at time and an asshole was a good man. As well that having spent so much time following the war, chasing money, and the monetary side of life, found out that inevitably money can bring nothing but sadness and loneliness. You know, I find um, Haley's approach to relationships uh, as a way to frame kind of a nice little narrative foil compared to to Bernard Daly's story, the one that we had just listened to before this. It's you know, well, the way Daly approaches relationships in a warm and positive and welcoming way uh, is in stark comparison with how Haley approaches his priorities, especially as a father and then grandfather, so the patriarch of that little family. And it's a concern that I have, especially as I start planning for my own family in the future, and I'm going to be facing similar choices as these two men. You know, which which path will I be falling on? Um, we all share that military service. We've all seen our fair share of, of challenges and difficulties, and I don't know if there's a way for me to reliably tell how that's all going to pan out. Well, we always face these questions in life, don't we? How, how much time to spend with family and how much to invest in our career and so forth. And, uh, you know, these are very human regrets that he may have later in life compared to the heroism of his wartime service. That's quite the uh, juxtaposition. But you have to respect the the narrator for giving us sort of the unvarnished perspective here. It's not soft focus. It's very, you know, clear and direct in his presentation. Yeah, this is a really fascinating story. And in some ways, there is an interesting parallel to the story we began with. Uh, And then I think for both of these men, their experiences in wartime continue to hang over them, uh, sometimes very tangibly, right? So for Daly, the money that he's able to save up helps set him up for life. But then there does seem to be a sense that some of these experiences were things that uh, Haley came back to throughout his life. Um, And and Thomas, I absolutely agree with you, right? I, I think the fact that he is very honest about his experiences with his grandfather, and then frankly, that his grandfather seemed like he was pretty honest about his own life. Right now that he's nearing uh, his final years, the fact that he says that he wants his family to remember uh, that even though he was an asshole sometimes, right, that he was a good man um, and that his heart was in the right place, even if sometimes he was a little bit rough around the edges. Uh, and I think there's a degree of honesty that I really respect with that. That redemptive arc is actually like really precious, and it's it's definitely worth acknowledging, especially in a story that is as uh, can be as grim as this one. Right, because no one's perfect. Like, yeah, people make mistakes. Absolutely. And we all have grandparents, I would imagine, that have had some regrets in life, uh, whether expressed to their grandchildren or not. And in this case, there's a certain rapport between him and his grandfather, where his grandfather can describe himself in this fashion, but still know that his grandson respects him. Absolutely. And I I hope it would be nice to think that the process of recording this podcast um, helped that a little bit. 
from Captain Q and Lieutenant Viernis and myself. Thanks for joining us in the stories of our ancestors. We hope you will join us next time. This has been a production of the History Department at the U.S. Naval Academy, located in Annapolis, Maryland. If you enjoy our programs, please let us know as we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at USNA History, and our email is historyproductions-group at usna.edu. For more information about the History Department at the Naval Academy, please visit usna.edu history.